I am on cold medicine right now, so I don't know how this message is going to go. First service, I swear, I just read my notes, and we'll see how it worked out, because I'll listen to the podcast later this week when I'm actually coherent. Uh, Sean Jones, he's like, do you need anything? And I go, can you just punch me in the face right now to bring me back to reality, because I just don't feel like I'm around. But uh, Have you guys seen this, this royal wedding thing? What is up with the madness about this? I turned on Hulu last night and it says, The Royal Wedding Part 1. Like they're assuming they're going to get divorced or something, like a Part two's coming. <laughs> and then and then I showed my wife this news article where somebody, I don't know, Duchess, somebody or other, whatever, and, and it said they wore this coat at, at three different things. And I'm like thinking, this is what's wrong with our culture. Oh, you wore that coat three times. You can't wear it to somebody else. It's like I wear the same jeans all week long. <laughs> That's all the laughter you get today, by the way. <laughs> uh, if you are new, welcome to Element. Uh, I hope I make sense. Uh, there are Bibles in the seat backs in front of you. If you don't own one, you can have one. If you forgot one, you can use one. There are sermon notes on all the communion tables throughout the room. They look like this. Uh, on the inside, you'll get some notes that go deeper into what we're talking about, some questions that go deeper as well. We also have these uh, Proverbs readings planned because we're going through the book of Proverbs. And if you go through these the weeks that we do it, you'll actually read through the book of Proverbs by the time that we are done with the book of Proverbs. They're not going to coincide with what we talk about, but it's a way if you'd like to read through the book by the time we're done, you can read through that and get to it by the time that we're done with Proverbs. Uh, if you have a smartphone, you can download an app. It is called Uversion. You click on more and then events in Uversion. It will come up by GPS in your smartphone. You will get sermon notes, verses, questions, announcements, and everything that goes with today's message. And I'm going to try and slow down too, because all I hear in my head is, Ugh. so my name is Aaron. I'm one of the pastors here. Why don't you stand with me for the reading of God's word? This is Philippians chapter, 12, uh, chapter 2, verses 12 and 13, and it says, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now not only in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Let's pray. Father, this morning I ask that you would teach us what it means to be a people who understand the fear of the Lord, and what it means to live and to walk in that in ways that honor you, and that in how we honor you would then go out and how we live in the culture around us, that the understanding of the, of the good news, of the grace, the gospel that's been given to us would change how we live and interact with those around us in such a way that you gain great glory as your people live in great joy and our culture begins to reflect who you are. Amen. Have a seat. All right, so this is week four of our series going through the book of Proverbs. Uh, we are addressing things to help us better understand our place in the culture in which we live as being countercultural change agents in our society. And when I say that, that's not like a negative we're against our society or things like that. We want to do that in a good way. And what I mean by that is we're meant to be a people who live out the wisdom of God, not the short-term temporary wisdom that our culture provides. Because if you look throughout history, typically what happens is culture always brings forth, purports some type of wisdom that directly contradicts what God calls his people to, and yet most people latch on to what society says, and they believe what society says is okay. Uh, just as a perfect example, the, the slave trade. No matter what society thought, at any given time, it was and, in, and is always wrong to own another human being. And I think today we'd all agree with that. 
But if you take a step back and think about maybe your clothes and, and where they come from, depending on the manufacturer or place, you could actually be supporting a form of slavery for the sake of your comfort of having lower prices or maybe how your food is harvested or how do you feel about the abuse of animals. Like I, God calls us to properly care for animals under our care, and that would then also include our food. And don't get me wrong, I love steak, I love chicken, I'm not a fan of fish unless it comes in the form of a stick, uh, but, but how, are those, how are those animals raised? You know, how are they taken care of before they make it to our table? And that's one of the ways that we think about how we live in this world differently than everybody else. We are stewards of what God has given us, and that's very important. And so God calls us to care for the world around us, to live in his wisdom. And don't worry, today's message is not about grass-fed beef or free-range chickens or social ills. We're going to talk about something much more fun. We're going to talk about the fear of God. You're welcome. All right, uh, open your Bibles, the Bibles to Proverbs chapter 9. And as we do this and we understand the fear of God better, I think it's going to help us to understand, again, how we interact with the world. And I'm going to kind of jump to a couple places. I hope I make sense in the end. This is really part one. Next week, there is a part two. And if today you just hate, well, forget that we even talked about this and just come oblivious next week and we'll keep going. See how that works. Uh, Proverbs chapter 9, verse 10 says this. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. And I hope to make a case for you today, according to Proverbs, that the all principles for wisdom that starts off in the fear of the Lord, to bring about and live in a culture that's different than ours in a way that speaks dignity and hope and love to others around us and brings glory to God, actually starts in a place of fear. And you might be like, what? First uh, John 4.18 in the New Testament says this. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, for fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. And you put these verses next to each other, and it's like, how do these things reconcile with each other? That's kind of what we're going to talk about today, a proper understanding of fear, and then who God is. Uh, the book of Psalms says that people are fools for not believing in God. Psalm 14, verse 1 says, the fool says in his heart, there is no God. But Proverbs chapter 1 says there's even different and worse fools than that. There's a stupid fool, a shameful fool, a stubborn fool, and it shows that these fools have laziness and pride and thinking that they know everything and how to live life without resting in who God is, and it says that this is almost worse than all these other ones. Uh, of those who believe in God, there's typically two types of people. Number one, either they have a high view of God and that nothing should be respected as much as God and a low view of man and man's knuckleheaded wisdom, or they have a high view of man, that everything man wants to do, we're going to make it work out. We're going to figure everything out in a very low view of God and his wisdom. And what you see is in Proverbs, what's considered wise is having a high view of God and a low view of man. What's seen as being a fool is a high view of man and a low view of God. And the word for fool, it has this roots in this word for perverse. It's someone who mocks others when they themselves are the guilty party. It means someone who despises true wisdom. So don't get offended when the Bible uses the word fool, because if you did, then you would be a fool. Uh, open your Bibles to Proverbs chapter 23. Uh, part of obedience, living as God calls us to, becomes cultivated and comes out of a proper fear of God. Uh, Tim Keller once wrote, Obedience without fear is like a body without a soul, is like a tire without air, is like a glove without a hand in it. It's lifeless and useless. 
Proverbs 23, verse 17 says, Let not your heart envy sinners, but continue in the fear of the Lord all the day. Surely there's a future, and your hope will not be cut off. And so Proverbs says that we fear the Lord, we fear him all day long, and that if we begin to envy other people around us, that will kill our fear of the Lord. Now, what do we fear today? Well, I, I found this study done in 2016 from Chapman University. It's the most recent one I could find. Here's American spheres. Number one, corrupt government officials. That's the height of the election, so I, I totally get that, right? Number two was terrorism. How about this? Uh, number eight, identity theft. You go back 15 years, that's not even really a thing, but now it's number eight. Number 12, reptiles. Reptiles beats out spiders, nuclear war, losing your job, earthquakes, and heights. I don't get it. Uh, public speaking used to be number one. Now it's number 34. It is still higher than being murdered or mugged by a stranger, but not much. And what actually made it onto this list is fear of zombies. Fear of zombies beat out fear of strangers, ghosts, and clowns. What is our world coming to where more fear of zombies than clowns? Country music didn't even make the list. I don't get that at all. Now, I think it's weird today that we fear so many things, and yet we shy away from talking about the fear of God when it's so prevalent in the scriptures. And I think it's partly because we misunderstand it. In Job chapter 1, God's speaking to Satan, and he points to this guy named Job. In Job 1.8, he says, Have you considered my servant Job? There is no one on earth like him. He is blameless and upright, a man who fears God and shuns evil. At this point, Job is the best person on the planet. And I guess that's technically true. At any given point, somebody on the planet is the best person. I don't think it's anybody in this room, especially not me. But somebody there is that. But what makes Job that person at that moment? It's that he fears God and shuns evil. You go to the end of the book of Ecclesiastes, which we're going to look at next year, and the author says these words in Ecclesiastes 12, 13. Here is the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the duty of all mankind. Now, I think we miss this in English, the nuances of this, but it's not really about the commandments. It's, it's about the relationship, the fear of the Lord, an inside thing, this relationship, and that becomes an outside thing of how we live and honor God in our lives. It's not necessarily about the commandments. It's that the commandments following what God says comes out of our relationship with him. When King David is at the end of his life, he says these words as he's passing away. Second Samuel 23, verses 3 and 4. When one rules over a people in righteousness, when he rules in the fear of God, he is like the light of morning at sunrise on the cloudless morning, like the brightness after rain that brings grass from the earth. He says a ruler, a president, a prime minister, a king, or a queen, a ruler is supposed to rule in the fear of God. And if they do, only when they do, they're going to be so unique that blessings actually will flow to the people they rule over. Colossians 3.22 says, Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything and do it, not only when their eye is on you and to curry their favor, but with sincerity of heart and reverence. That's the word for fear for the Lord. Now, a couple things in this. The Bible is not condoning slavery. It's saying if you find yourself in this situation, and slavery at this time is not like it was practiced in America. It wasn't racial. And a slave's job at this time was boring. It was thought to be one of the most meaningless things you could ever do. So how does Paul say you deal with that in a way that actually honors God? He says you fear the Lord. It's meant to be part of the dynamic that's behind everything that we do as a people. And there are a number of places in the Old Testament where God will actually say, your obedience is a stench in my nostrils because you don't fear me. You're just doing these things, not out of relationship, but just because you feel like you have to get them done. 
And therefore, I think it becomes very imperative, rather than seeking just wisdom, we seek a rightful, fearful understanding of God in whom all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are actually stored. Like, our, our churches and Bible teachers today seem to have lost so much of the aspect of what to properly understand God's love, and that to understand God's love, we must also understand the fear of God. Like, you go into a Christian bookstore today, if they still exist, not online, I think they all close, but if you, if you find one, go in and just do this little experiment. Say, hey, where's the love of God section? They'll be like, oh, it's right there. Where's the joy? Oh, it's over there. Then say, where's the fear of God section? And they'll be like, What? Because most Christian bookstores don't have a section like that because we don't know what to do with it. We don't understand it and we don't like it. And yet Psalm 111 and Proverbs 9 and Proverbs 1 all say the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. It's the beginning. Like you're going to start a race. You got to start somewhere. It's like this is where you got to start. And it means we don't have the fear of the Lord. You're an idiot. That's not pejorative. It's just true. If you have all the knowledge in the world, but not a proper fear of God, you will misunderstand your knowledge. You'll really misunderstand everything you think you know. We will be a people who misapply it. We will misuse it, but we won't even know why we're so wrong in the midst of it. We will keep doing the same dumb thing, wondering why we don't get a different result. This happens in politics, if you haven't noticed, all the time. Politics is always centering on, oh, man's wisdom. We're going to figure this out. Man's, and we keep running down the same road, messing everything up. With Without the fear of God, there's no possibility of wisdom at all. Now, it's kind of easier to understand if you read the Old Testament, because in the Old Testament, there are a couple different words for fear. One actually means terror, and one has this idea of reverence. And so in the Old Testament, it's not that hard to see the difference between these words, the good kind of fear and the bad kind of fear, the right kind, the wrong kind. In the New Testament, there's almost no way to tell the difference, because this word where we get our word phobia from is used in almost all of the cases. Like phobia, like you got a phobia of spiders or clowns or wearing the same coat four times in a row or... You know, you have a phobia of these things. We translate it as fear, but in other places, they'll translate it as reverence. And so it's hard without looking at the context, what that actually means. And reverence even sometimes sounds like this old Boy Scout word, doesn't it? Like a, like a Boy Scout is treasurworthy, loyal, helpful, friendly, courteous, kind, obedient, cheerful, thrifty, brave, clean, anything now, but actually a boy. Uh, and, and the last thing they say is, is reverent, right? Is, is reverent. That, that's the one. And I'm not saying reverence is not a good word. It is a good word. But sometimes we change these words and we kind of make them bland rather than using what should actually be there. I mean, in churches, you think of reverent. It means like, you know, folded hands. We're, we're very quiet. It's, it's lifeless. And it's like what we do with good Bible words sometimes when sometimes we should probably just leave the right word actually there and learn what it means in context of what's being said. When the word fear is used, again, you got to understand there are two different types of fear that's used. The verse I quoted earlier, 1 John 4, 18, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. Imagine if you put the word reverence in there, like there is no reverence in love. Well, that makes no sense at all. For fear has to do with punishment. Whoever fears has not been perfected in love. For reverence has to do with punishment. It, it makes no sense. Like you have to understand it in context. And so there's this one kind of fear and it's a negative. And it tells you that because fear has to do with punishment. And that is the normal way that we use fear today. When we talk about fear, that's it. This is fear or dread of being hurt, and that is one of the main ways we define it. When this type of fear grips you, you become self-absorbed. Your life becomes all about you. You become aware of your needs, the danger, something could hurt you, so you think all about yourself. So much so, sometimes you become paralyzed. And John says that that is the opposite of love. The Bible doesn't say that the opposite of love is hate. The opposite of love is this improper fear. It's that kind of fear. It also doesn't say that the opposite of fear is peace. The opposite of this bad fear is 
love. Fear and love in this context are total opposites because you cannot properly love without a willingness to be hurt. Like if you go into a relationship with somebody and you say, I will love you as long as you never hurt me. You know what's going to happen? You will never love because somebody at some point is going to hurt you. Love puts itself out there. It's not concerned just with itself. Fear is like a turtle that pulls into its own shell. It's totally absorbed with its own needs where love is absorbed with the needs of the other person. Fear makes you not not take risks where love opens yourself up and makes you vulnerable. Fear is the opposite of love. And, and don't get me wrong because there are certain places and we'll talk about this next week in which God does inspire kind of a quaking in your boots kind of fear because you understand God's majesty and power and he holds the entire universe in his hands. It's reasonable to be scared of God just a little bit. It's kind of like a, like a good dad. Like, you know, your dad loves you and, and, and he's there for you. But oh my goodness, when your mom says, just wait till your dad gets home, you're like, oh no, right? Because oh, you have a little bit of fear of, of your dad. God is a God that we should obey. Like, I think we all know deep in our hearts, there's a creator and we all know, therefore we owe him everything that he should actually be in charge of our lives. And yet we all try to be God in our own lives. We all try and decide what's right and wrong for ourselves. It's kind of like if you impersonate a policeman and then a real policeman comes and stands right behind you and you're like, oh no, busted. It's kind of like that. That's how a lot of people fear, feel about God. That's why they say things like, oh, I can never go to church because lightning would strike me because God knows what I'm doing and I'm trying to act like him in my life and, he, and he's going to get me. Uh, Keller said this, he goes, sin in the heart is that which tells you that if you obey the God who claims absolute authority over you, you're going to be unhappy. Sin is that which makes you treat God as an enemy. And so when God comes near, deep in our heart, we feel like he is not our friend, he's not our savior, we feel like he is our enemy. Because he has the right to be our sovereign, but we don't want him to be. And so we're scared. Martin Luther said this, if you do not approach God through the gospel of Jesus Christ, you will find as you get near a consuming fire. That the closer you get to God and you're not in relationship with him, the more scared of him you will be. But this is also the type of fear that begins to go away the closer you actually get to following and loving and serving Jesus and understanding the gospel of Jesus in our life. Because that's the fear that starts to go away. The closer you get to him in relationship, that type of fear dissipates. It's why 1 John 4.18 says this is the opposite of love. Because fear of God should not be a fear of dread of being hurt. It's not self-centered because there's another type of fear. When the Bible says you must fear God, it is talking about something else. So you have that, that old kind of fear that, that doesn't make us happy. It makes you miserable. It makes you self-consumed with yourself. But there's a kind of fear, a holy fear, that the more you understand it and live in this with God, the more you live in joy. Psalm 130 verse 4 says, But with you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. The psalm writer says, I see you're a gracious God and that you're a forgiving God and that makes me fear you. He says, I see your forgiveness and your grace. I see your mercy and it fills me with a certain type of holy fear. Keller goes on and he says, the fear of God, the holy fear is an inward condition of awe and amazement before the glory and wonder and the power and the grace of this God. It's an inward condition of amazement. It's the on appreciation. It's kind of like this. Imagine you have in your house a cup that you use all the time. And people come over and you go, oh, here's some coffee in this particular cup. Or you have a, have a 
piece of furniture and you have people sit on it all the time. And, and maybe at one point someone says, oh, hey, you know that cup? That was made by L. Ron Cupboard. He is the inventor of cups. And this cup is worth millions of dollars. Or that chair that you had me send it, sit in, that is made by Furniture McPherson, the inventor of furniture. And that chair is worth hundreds of thousands of dollars. What has just happened when you understand that is you have a different appreciation for that cup or that furniture. All of a sudden your perspective changes and you see the value of it differently. There is a new dread and the dread isn't of being hurt. It is causing hurt. It is this relationship means so much. It's, it's fear of defiling this thing in any way. And in the Bible, when you begin to understand the glory of God and the power of God and the grace of God, we begin to see him differently. When we understand the gospel of how God has come to rescue us, it helps us to see everything in light of that relationship with what God has done for us first. In Proverbs twenty three seventeen, where it says, let not your heart in be sinners, but continue in the fear of the Lord all the day. Why? Because we value him more than anything. It's a proper fear of God is the beginning of wisdom because our relationship with him comes first and it stands over everything that we do. It, it has our knowledge turned into wisdom because everything God says we listen to. We are filled with the proper fear and everything changes. And sometimes to be filled with this proper fear becomes a discipline. And what I mean is that you take certain things God has said and things God has done and you chew on it and think about it until you create this inward condition of amazement and awe that affects the way that we live. And when it happens, it affects everything that we do. If you have low self-esteem, it will affect that. If you live in self-pity, it will affect that because it will begin to remove your eyes from yourself and place them upon him. Imagine somebody criticizes you. What do we do today? We get very angry about it. How dare they criticize me? But when we live in a proper relationship with God and see our lives of how he has rescued us, it changes everything. We can say the truth. We can be like, you know what? God has told me I'm a worse sinner than you even know. I am. It is worse than you have even said about me because I am horrible. And we can just own it. Because Jesus has loved us. He has given us his approval. We don't need anybody else's approval. And half the time people say things about us, they're partly right, right? We just need to kind of own it. And instead of being all but hurt, we start thinking of what happened to us through an attribute of God. Through what God has said about us. Through relationship, we're not self-centered anymore because our lives become centered in him. We start living this out on the outside. I was reading a bunch of stuff for uh, today's message and, and, and next week, and someone actually mentioned that the difference between like a, a real follower of Jesus and just a religious person is a real follower of Jesus understands a proper fear of God. And what, what they meant was that a religious person knows that maybe God is gracious or maybe Jesus died for our sins, but a Christian is somebody who has that sense in their heart, that, that fear of God, the preciousness of the relationship and what God has done. Like, uh, most people have heard this, this sermon by a guy named Jonathan Edwards called Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. And that's really the only thing people know about Jonathan Edwards. I think Jonathan Edwards is one of the best preachers America ever produced. And when he talks about this, it is so much deeper than just sounding, oh, this angry, mean type of God. Like, Jonathan Edwards writes this thing about the end of creation. And in the midst of talking about fear, this is what he says. This is how he sees it, okay? He says, true saints, that's true Christians, have their minds in the first place inexpressibly pleased and delighted with the sweet ideas, the glorious and amiable nature of the things of God. And this is the spring of all their delights and the cream of all their pleasures. It is the joy of their joy, the sweet and ravishing entertainment they have in the view of the beautiful and delightful nature of divine things is the foundation of the joy they will have forever and ever. This is in the middle of him talking about the fear of God. 
What he's saying is it's one thing to know. It's another thing to have this proper fear of God and live in proper relationship with him. It's one thing to know about God and to know the attributes of God. Another thing to actually have it in our hearts and have it affect us in such a way that our relationship with him becomes so precious. That's the center of all that we are and all that we do. Uh, you know, my wife and I, we are in relationship. And if I ever said to her, I will only love you if you never hurt me, I am never going to have a proper relationship with her because she has hurt me and I have hurt her in the past. And it's not that we intend to, but in, as I go and in the future, I'm like, I never want to do that again because I love her so much. It's, it's not a fear of dread of her beating the snot out of me because she probably could, right? You know, it's, it's this fear of dread of ever hurting her. And that's my relationship with Jesus. I love him so much. I don't, I don't want to do anything that ever hurts him. In our lives today, we have a tendency, if we're honest, to deal with everything from this bad place of fear. Everything we deal with that way. We have self-pity by fear, temptation by fear, resentment by fear. We deal with everything by fear. How do we vote today? We vote in fear. I'm afraid that person's going to get elected. That's how we vote. How do bloggers blog? They blog about fear. Oh, this is going to happen. This is terrible. And that's all we do. The rest is why I think the writer of Proverbs says what he does. If you're envious of sinners, if you see people who haven't worked like you have or don't believe or they're immoral or they're backstabbers or they're getting further in life than you have, how do you deal with that? Well, you have the proper fear of God, the relationship with who he is. So you don't envy them. You live in your relationship with God first and foremost, and your future and hope will never be cut off. You don't, you don't deal with envy by saying, oh, I shouldn't be envious. Bad Christian, stop being envious. You're terrible. What you do is you, you're filled with a sense of the wonder and the goodness of God that we wouldn't want to bring anything to grieve him because we value him so much. There's a fear of dread of being hurt, which is the opposite of love. And then there's the fear of a dread that of giving hurt or giving offense to God. And that's really kind of becomes love itself because we're looking outside of ourselves. We're no longer looking inside. It's because we understand that God has first loved us. So we begin to live and act differently. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. It's how we live in wisdom begin to create this counterculture. All you can have without a proper fear of God is knowledge. You will have no wisdom at all. And if you read the Old and the New Testament, it becomes pretty clear, especially with the words that Jesus says, that it's not right conduct, but right relationship with God that he is after. Right conduct becomes secondary because it comes out of relationship. And that's the gospel. Again, we love because he first loved us. It's the proper flow of relationship. Even in the whole Old Testament, you see in the end what God talks about is the whole point is right relationship with him. Conduct flows out of relationship, not the other way around. And so the gospel becomes the idea that we understand what God has done. And so we begin to live differently because of that relationship. It's not I conduct myself and God rewards me with relationship. It's that God has extended relationship to me. And therefore, I begin to live and act differently. Again, the gospel, we have been loved, bought, brought back in by God. All that we do starts there. And the reason it's difficult in some ways is we don't use the word fear the way that the Bible kind of talks about it at times. We always assume that fear is a negative, and it can only be a negative, but it can also be a positive. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And I do want to flesh this out for you more next week. Next week's message will probably be a little bit longer. Uh, I'm going to give you a ton of Proverbs. If you feel like I haven't talked about Proverbs that much at all, next week is going to be your holiday Sunday because we're going to have a lot of Proverbs, okay? But it's this idea coming back to understanding that the truth is found in Jesus. 
He is the most valuable thing in our lives. And so we live and honor him as such. That, that proper fear is not a quaking in our boots. It's an understanding that we value the relationship with that Jesus has forgiven to us so much that we want to be a people who do everything we can to honor that by how we live it back out. Not because he's not going to love us if we mess up. It's that we see this relationship as central to our lives. And so we begin to live out the truth and the goodness of his grace in all that we do. The proper fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. I would also say that the improper fear of God will have us never live in wisdom. It will have us live self-centered lives that only look at trying to keep our own selves safe. We must be a people who understand the proper fear of God that leads to wisdom. And when we live in proper wisdom, everything in our lives can change and we can bring about a counterculture. This is why every week we bring us back to the place of communion. Where you break the cracker like Christ's body was broken for us. You dip it in the wine of the grape juice. It reminds of his blood that was shed for you and me. Because God is a God who extended himself to us first. To rescue us. To bring us into relationship with him. And all that we do then flows out of that relationship with him. The band's going to come up. As they do, I'm going to invite you, if you would like uh, to pray, there's going to be some deacons and elders in the back. And if you're in a place today when you hear about the fear of God, or you've ever said, if I step foot in a church, God's going to strike me with lightning. If that's you, they would love to pray with you. Because there's a completely different understanding of the fear of the Lord that the scriptures speak about. And it's not, it's not a fear of God crushing us. It's this beauty that God has rescued us because of his own goodness, because of his own grace. Our God is better to us than we could ever imagine. And yet so often we are taking inappropriate concepts and trying to place them on top of who he is when God continues to show us his graciousness and his goodness. So let's be a people who begin to simply start trusting the things that he has said about himself and then begin to live out that relationship that he has first given to us in ways that honor him in all that we do. Because we love him first in all that we do. There's offering boxes next to all the doors we give because God gave so much to us, giving us part of our worship. There's food outside. We invite you to grab something to eat, some sermon notes. And maybe this week, talk to some other people. You know, where, where in your life have you had an improper view of God? You know, where today were you, do you even still struggle with the improper view of the fear of God? And, and maybe what are the ways that understanding what God has done and what he has said can, can make your heart melt to a place that you begin to live this goodness of who he is that comes out of relationship with him first? Begin to talk about those things. Walk with one another through those things. Because I can tell you there are places in, in my life where I freaked out and be like, oh my goodness, God's going to get me now. You know, and, and I, I think God does want to get me. But he wants to get me to bring me into relationship with him. And sometimes we just have such this, this horrible view of who he is and what he does. Because we've let Hollywood or books or people who hate him talk about who he is. when we need to let the scriptures speak about who he is. Our God is good and gracious. And the fear of the Lord, the proper fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Let's pray. Father, this morning I ask that you would teach us and remind us of your grace. And the relationship that you have extended to us and invited us into. And that as we understand the relationship you've invited us into. That we would then begin to live out. Our lives in ways that make sense in the culture around us. Because they first stem out of relationship with you. Father I ask that you do help us to understand the, the holiness of who you are.
the awe-inspiring majesty of the creator of the universe who spoke and creation jumps into existence, that we would understand that. But we would also understand how you have come and sought us. That the good news is that you have rescued us. And that we would begin to live lives that understand the value of the relationship we have that you have given to us. And that we would begin to live out in ways that bring you great glory. That you would have us not live in improper fear that has our eyes focused upon ourselves. But in a love and awe and reverence of who you are that gets our eyes off of ourselves and onto you. That has us live outside of ourselves. So that all that we do would bring you great glory as your people live in your great joy. Father, I ask that you today would teach us how not to be slaves to negative fear, but be children of God who live in the place where we understand that proper fear of you is the beginning of wisdom and that we would then live in that wisdom. We ask this in your son's good name. Amen.